0: So welcome to the Praxis Behind the Obscure podcast, and today I have a very special guest. I have David Shoemaker on, who um, actually, I believe it was your book, I think, was the first book I read on Thalema in general, which was Living Thalema. And then later on, I picked up The Winds of Wisdom, which is a great book as well, Visions from the 30 Enochian Aethers, which was a really nice, refreshing account of like sort of a modern take or a mo- modern experimentation with the Enochian system. And so I figured I would have you on today. And I know there's a lot more you do other than write books too. So maybe uh, I'll pass the uh, ball over to you, and you can tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself.
1: Okay. Well, thanks for having me on, Brian. Mm-hmm. It's a pleasure. Um, brief introduction. So I, you know, I'm the writer, the author of uh, Living with the Lamb and Wins the Wisdom. I've edited some other texts, including most recently the. Uh, Llewellyn's Complete Book of Ceremonial Magic, which I co-edited with Lon Ducat, um, mm-hmm. fairly massive beast of an editing project, but a lot of fun. Um, I'm a psychologist, clinical psychologist in private practice uh, here in uh, the Raleigh-Durham-Chapel Hill area of North Carolina, uh, after about a quarter century practicing in California. Uh, I am the, the uh Prolocutor and Chancellor of the Temple of the Silver Star, which is um, a ceremonial magical order um, based on the cipher manuscripts of the Golden Dawn and also uh, fully incorporating Thelema into all its degree structure and and instruction Um, and uh, continuing to do the Living Thelema podcast um, uh, on a regular basis as I as I feel like I have content to share.
0: Okay, great. Yeah. I mean, um, as I mentioned, your book was the first introduction to Thelema. And yeah, definitely your podcast has uh, a lot of golden nuggets in the podcast. I noticed there's been some recent ones that have um, Mm -hmm. about Kabbalah and psychology that I haven't checked out yet. So definitely have to go check those out later. But um, I'm curious, just in general, how you um, got interested or, you know, sort of dove into esotericism and the Western mystery tradition.
1: Sure. Yeah, I um, I, I emerged uh, from college sort of a uh, devout atheist and uh, <laughs> got into to graduate school, uh, very interested in Jung, though, and uh, I always say Jung was my gateway drug, but I, I got <laughs> really interested in, in Jung's work, and this um, made me realize that I was actually seeking a spiritual path. I just hadn't termed it that or felt it that way consciously. Um, because as I was exploring young, it was just the sort of the mystery of it was calling to me the, 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 the symbols and the, uh, the work with the unconscious and doing an intentional, uh, living an intentional path of dialogue with, with those um, hidden aspects of self was really uh was really speaking to me so uh i somehow found israel regardy's book the middle pillar um i think i was exploring some wicca materials from Llewellyn, and i accidentally found regardy's <laughs> middle pillar uh and of course in there he talks about Kabbalistic psychology he talks about the golden dawn he talks about the overlap of um cabalistic psychology and jungian studies and importantly he uh uh talks about crowley's work and so that was the gateway to find crowley and who I knew of my reputation but you know mm-hmm. there's a lot of crap out there so uh I really had no idea until I started reading Crowley in the original that uh, that he was as as brilliant uh, as as he was and uh, of course that was that was that sealed the deal uh in terms of <laughs> what my life's work was going to be about I remember a discreet moment standing mm-hmm. holding the middle pillar and reading about all this stuff and thinking this is what I am going to do the rest of my life and and uh, sure enough, the sort of bridging of psychology and magic and, uh, and instruction in, in, in the same is uh, what I've been doing. Mm, okay. Um,
0: I'm, I'm curious too. So you picked up Rigardi's book and, um, you know, it, it immediately caught your interest and you probably started doing practices on your own, I would imagine. Did you sort of experiment a little bit with the, uh, um, the rituals you came across, like the middle pillar mm-hmm. and, other things mm-hmm. like that. And then from there, did you, you joined an order or you decided to sort of research if there's any sort of groups that you could get into contact with?
1: I, I had about six months-ish of uh, solitary practice of mm-hmm. you know, the basics, uh, pentagram ritual and uh, middle pillar and such. And, but uh, late 1993, I simultaneously um, uh, was initiated into OTO and mm-hmm. also uh, initiated into the tradition that has for me morphed into temple of the silver star mm-hmm. and also started the aa student phase so it uh uh was a big year <laughs> and uh but I, no, I i dove in pretty quickly right at, right right at the beginning once i knew i wanted to do it um because i i the structure of uh magical orders appealed to me
0: mm-hmm. okay cool Um, I'm curious, you know, I mean, you've been in this, um, in this, working in this area for quite a long time. How has your, how would you describe how your practice, how has it developed over time? And currently, do you have like a daily regimen or things maybe like regular practices that you do might not be daily, but just on a, you know, maybe a regular basis?
1: Yeah. I I mean, largely in in the, the time between 93 and, um, 2004 ish um i would say my daily practice was evolving more or less in line with my initiatory work mm-hmm. so depending on the the degree or grade i was at in, in one order or another i was i was uh, you know doing the corresponding work so that, that had a major influence on how my day-to-day work was going then um after my knc experience and um uh, uh, the resulting work that grew out of that, with the aethers and such, a, a lot of it since then has been much more kind of following my nose about where I'm, I'm being guided in terms of the uh, the daily work I need to be doing. So, daily regimen of the basic hygienic rituals has never gone away. Uh, pentagram, hexagram rituals, some version of the middle pillar um, meditation of you know extended tarana, um, which is, I suppose I increasingly incorporated more of a Buddhist uh, approach to my meditation than, than uh, I did before. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, occasional practices when I want to do a targeted magical working of some kind, it's very likely to be uh, using the Kabbalistic hierarchies or mm-hmm. Enochian uh, tablets or for, you know, as with Winds of Wisdom for the, the sort of uh, inward journey, um, the 30 Athers. Mm
0: -hmm. okay yeah the um your book the winds of winds of wisdom was really really good and um i got into Anokian probably maybe a year and a half or two years ago i took a Mm -hmm. um, zoom course with Lon milo duquette i'm over here Mm -hmm. all the way in korea so i don't have much (laughs) you know physical contact or the ability to attend physical classes or anything like that but um that sort of got me into it and um, i was sort of looking around for like modern accounts of you know, scrying through the aethers, and there wasn't much out there, but I did come across your book, which was great, and I noticed that you take a very, um, I would say, very slow and gradual and perhaps healthy approach to scrying the aethers, right, Mm -hmm. and so um, I'm curious, like, how, if there are people who are interested in getting into Enochian, how would you, or what kind of advice would you give them, and uh, maybe you can share a little bit about your own personal approach that you took.
1: Sure, yeah. Um, well, I, 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 let me take the first part first. I, I think um, the most useful way, and maybe this is my bias from having done it this way, but I think <laughs> what, one, of the, one of the best ways to get the foundational training in the Enochian system is to go through an outer order like Temple of the Silver Star that incorporates the elemental work of, with, with the Enochian tablets culminating in second order instruction in in the more advanced techniques like aether scrying and, uh, you know, opening up specific parts of the elemental tablets that for me was just like putting all the building blocks together gradually and and systematically in a way that um, I don't think I would have personally benefited as much if I had done that. Um, So uh, when I approached the, the Aether Scrine, um, this was as, uh, very, very consciously as a path of inward initiation that I didn't exactly know where I was going to lead. Of course, how could we know? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, I knew I wanted to do it sequentially. I wanted to sort of replicate, um, that aspect of Crowley's approach to the Aethers as in vision and the voice. Mm-hmm. And, um, what I found that was pretty fascinating was that uh, I could have every intention of doing, you know, a new Aether every day, but Mm -hmm. I would get to certain places and just stop, not intentionally and and not because of any obvious sort of impediment, Mm -hmm. but um, I would just stop. And then, you know, a few weeks or sometimes even months later, excuse me, uh, sometimes even months later I'd come back to do the next one and the you know each vision tended to have some recommendations for you know here's what you need to work on in between so some homework you know mm-hmm. uh, but I wouldn't always realize what the homework was until I got to the next one <laughs> and right. then it would become obvious that I couldn't have moved forward until I incorporated some of the lessons from the, the previous aethers. so the the work through the 30 aethers. Spanned several years and really did uh, involve my own personal magical and mystical progress. Uh, it's sort of in an inward initiatory sense as much as as anything else. So that's that was the big sort of confirmatory surprise for me in terms of the system that if you do this work uh, with with intention and seriousness. Um, and you pay attention to what you're getting it can be really transformative in my my life it, it led me to the next phases of where my entire life needed to go
0: mm-hmm. that's interesting it's very much so been my experience as well with uh scrying the athers initially i think the Great. first few i went through pretty quickly and then pretty much every other aether after it's been a month two months even three months um in mm-hmm. between each one and it's not like It's not like I'm putting it off or it's some sort of intentional um, like I'm going to scribe the 22nd aether in nine months or anything like that. It's not some scheduled thing, but it just feels natural sort of, as you mentioned, sort of integrating the visions and the experiences and the lessons of that um, previous aether that I scribed. So pretty interesting. Um, Yeah, I notice a lot in uh, a lot of your writing, you focus a lot on the psychological aspects of the path. And that's something Mm -hmm. I personally resonate a lot with. Um, But uh, I don't know, (laughs) I don't know how much you're online, but there's always that sort of debate between the spirit model and the psychological model. And, you know, is is there, do you feel like there's a danger of being, or being overly focused maybe on one or the other, like being too psychological and everything's in the mind or on the other hand, you know being sort of negating the psychological model altogether Mm -hmm. and being very much so it's all about the spirits and um, what's your sort of take on that?
1: Yeah, yeah, I I think the danger is being reductionistic from any single viewpoint. Uh Uh, And um, look, there are psychological aspects to everything. There are philosophical aspects to everything. There are spiritual aspects to everything. (laughs) So if we try to describe something from one of those angles as part of describing it, not as a totality of describing it, there's, there's always a danger that somebody's going to look at that and say, see, you're reducing it all to X. And that's <laughs> frankly something that, uh, that has always kind of driven me crazy in terms of, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I I can have an essay on the the uh, knowledge of conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel, a deeply mystical and, and uh, powerful experience that I could never describe away with merely psychological terms. And in the next chapter, I happen to be talking about Kabbalistic psychology. And so everyone goes, oh, you're just reducing it all to psychology, but the, ignoring the explicitly spiritual uh, focus of, of the chapter right next to it, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I think it is very important that we understand these these lenses that we look through to describe anything in, in life and, uh, and, and recognize that they, they're valid on their own plane, but they don't have to take over the whole picture.
0: Right, right. That's a very good point. Um, Yeah, I think not confusing the planes is kind of a big thing. And I think that people sort of had natural tendencies to lean one way or another when explaining something or when integrating experience. And so I think it's sort of, um, I don't know, I think it's interesting to see people sort of uh, go into this this sort of extreme uh, viewpoint or extreme camps where instead of sort of seeing the value in the different paradigms and different ways of experiencing and seeing things being a little bit more fluid with things rather than, um, yeah. Dogmatic, I guess you would say. Right.
1: Right. So, right. And yeah. mm -hmm. And, um, you know, staying open to, uh, other ways of looking at your experience and other ways of describing it just for the sake of, uh, diversity of thought, you know, and, uh, Mm -hmm. and uh, exercising the muscles of different ways of thinking about what's going on Mm
0: -hmm, definitely Um, one thing that drew me to um, Crowley and Thalema in general and was uh, actually the motto of the AA which was the method of science and the aim of religion which was on the Mm -hmm. equinox right and um, I'm just curious sort of your take like do you think that Motto, you know that was perhaps a hundred years ago, or over a hundred years ago, right? Um, do you think that motto finds a home in the AA today? And are there sort of concrete ways that you would like to import a scientific spirit into the AA? Um, you know, just food for thought is like I'm looking around at like virtual reality and just sort of, you know, just how the how the modern world is developing. Do you see any sort of um, ways you could you would like to see? Um, the AA develop in that, in those lines?
1: Well, I think there's two important points I'd like to make on that. One is Mm -hmm. that Crowley's vision of the scientific aspects of AA, I think, are, are defined somewhat by his, his understanding of behavioral science at the time. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in in terms of the scientific Illuminist approach of looking inward to our experience and letting empirical observation of our experience, shape our beliefs about what is true for us, you know? Mm-hmm. So that is uh, that is an empirical model. It's just a subjective, uh, uh, <laughs> it's not a hard science, uh, you know, approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that has never stopped. And over the course of the last century, um, the AA has continued to evolve via the continued work of its adepts in leaving diaries behind that help teach followers what they did that worked and what didn't work. And mm-hmm. uh, so that, that aspect of the scientific approach has has always been there. And, and that makes the AA as well as the Temple of the Silver Star, which is a separate organization, I should emphasize um, mm-hmm. there's confusion on that. Um, it m- makes us a living, uh, these are living orders where mm-hmm. It's not calcified in terms of, you know, something written a hundred years ago. It's, it's a living experience that is added to by everyone doing it. Now, to the second part of your question, um, I think there's a lot of interesting technology out there um, that I hope increasingly we can see, um, you know, finding ways to integrate into magical practice. I'll give you one example that I've encountered personally and used is the, the Muse headset that, Mm -hmm. um, tracks, you know, I, I think a sort of average, averaged out uh, set of, of brain activity, uh, brain signals. And, Mm -hmm. um, I was skeptical about, you know, what is this measuring? Is it going to be sensitive to anything resembling my inner experience? Um, but what I found was, uh, and for people who don't know, it's just a simple headband that is Bluetooth connected to your phone and it will, detect the overall activity of the brain and uh record that and it purports to be sensitive to um you know the slowing down of brain activity that correspond with with uh, a deeper meditative state Mm -hmm. and also if you know if you get distracted or you're having all kinds of thoughts float through then supposedly it's going to measure that so Mm -hmm. um i thought well i mean i've been meditating for you know, more than a quarter century, let me try this (laughs) and see how it actually maps what I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what I found was that, um, sure enough, when my subjective experience was, I'm having all these distracting thoughts, it picked up on that. And Mm. when my subjective experience was in that sort of still place where, you know, you can, you just have that awareness that you're, you're there, you know, you're really deep, into the meditation it noticed that too and and this was sensitive at the level of you know within a within a second or two oh, of wow. my inner state changing it would change in terms of what it was reading so because there's audio feedback you can tell what it's mm-hmm. what it's uh, picking up anyway i don't want to be too long-winded about this but it's just an example of a tool that is out there that that i um, i could see being pretty useful for a beginning meditator to even start to, to be able to be sensitive to how much brain activity was going on. You know? Right,
0: right. Sort of seeing um, objectively, like tracking your progress and seeing what uh, right. uh, mm-hmm. brain wave states you go through and logging it and things along those lines, definitely. Yeah, and
1: the, the app on the phone actually will, uh, um, you know, track what percentage of the session you were in, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a deep state of, of meditation. So mm-hmm. you've got a, a pretty objective measure there of what we previously would have had to measure subjectively in terms of breaks of meditation, which mm-hmm. you can read about in Crowley's writing, you know, noticing when our thought went to what's for lunch instead of the red <laughs> triangle I'm supposed to be focusing on. Um, right. So you'd have to count those breaks in your head, but this sort of gives you a, a graphic and numerical measure of that.
0: Mm, that's really awesome. Um, a previous guest of mine, he's a visionary artist, and he's mm-hmm. recently been messing around with VR. and he posted a video on his YouTube channel um, doing the uh, LBRP And I thought that was really cool because, you know, the first time I read it about it in a book, I mean, it made sense to a degree, and it um, you can sort of imagine or guess what it would look like. And you sort of I view it sort of as training your psychic muscles over time, right? your visualization. Sure. And I think that's very important to actually do that. but, I feel like if I had access to that video, because it was so vivid and it was so concrete on what the steps are, what it physically looks like, what the, um, you know, the pentagrams, how they're blazing and what, what have you, do you see a place for that in the future? Like these, you know, using these uh, sorts of technologies um, to even, even for teaching purposes as well, not, not only for perhaps like you mentioned tracking progress or, um for personal reflection, but do you do you see any value um with these kind of technologies for teaching?
1: Sure. I think um I think there's several ways this can be useful. I mean, for one thing, inspires us, is useful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So (laughs) if having a depiction of these visions is inspiring, then great. You know, Mm -hmm. that's all it has to do. Mm -hmm. Um but um you know, as long as, as long as someone's visions or artistic representation of them or whatever is not presented as this is what you should experience, Mm -hmm. but more like, here's what I experienced and let it be suggestive for you. You know, I think that's, that's where I would maybe draw the line of caution there. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we give ritual instruction all the time saying now draw this pentagram and visualize it in this color and so on, Mm -hmm. but we're not, um, we're trying not to overly define beyond that what a person's experience would be. So I, I don't know if I'm exactly addressing your question, but I, I think that's that's what comes to mind.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I, I also see like a danger being that sort of relying on technology. I think technology can be used as a tool as we were kind of talking about here, but I mm-hmm. can see how it can be, I mean, it's, it could sort of rob you of your own perhaps experience or Um, visualization abilities when you rely on it too much. Right. And so I think the real, the challenge maybe of the future is using these things as tools rather than Mm -hmm. becoming, you know, especially in this area as well. I mean, look how technology has done so many good things, but you walk around and people are it's the phone is using them rather than them using the phone. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And if I, if I trained myself to visualize via some sort of VR app, Uh not dissing anybody's work here but you know i know Mm -hmm. if i had done that Mm -hmm. then my powers of visualization would have been substantially guided by someone else's vision of what was supposed to be seen Mm. and Mm -hmm. so i think it is it is harder to build our own unique muscles of inner perception if we are not uh doing this the slogging work of uh training that from scratch at least at uh, some of the time you know
0: oh definitely definitely um as far as the aa and the temple of the silver star one thing that Mm -hmm. um i really like about what you guys are doing recently you guys are putting out these uh youtube video courses which i'm really enjoying and uh, as i mentioned i'm over in south korea and i can't really attend anything physically since most of you know the events or what have you would be in the states, mm-hmm. and so I've been going through um, the new astrological magic course and mm-hmm. other previous courses on um, you know the Kabbalah and paths and what have you. And so, do you think that um, do you think the future of teaching like previously the the uh, the equinox and all of these writings and great books coming out? Do you do you see the future evolving with the AA or perhaps the Temple of the Silver Star into more of a like a digital format or um how do do you see that that evolving with like video courses and youtube and um yeah you know the tools at our disposal
1: what do you what do you think about that well right around 2013 or so um temple the silver star started incorporating video training in its um academic track teaching so the not the initiatory experience but just the sort of teacher-student you know, work um, that would otherwise have been done one-on-one in a room somewhere mm-hmm. or possibly in a group classroom with a few other students. So um, we started incorporating video back then. Um, we, we The YouTube channel is more recent. Obviously, I've been doing instructional work with Living Thalema since 2010, so that's been going on. Mm-hmm. But what I think the pandemic has actually uh, pushed us into um, mm-hmm. Unwittingly, but happily, at this point is is seeing how much uh, material we can have sort of constantly available to people for for this sort of distance training. Um, but really, we're still we're still simulating the one to one instruction or classroom experience. Um, mm-hmm. One thing we'll never do is, you know, okay, watch this video for your initiation. You know, um, all <laughs> right. our initiatory work in in Temple of Silver Star and certainly in AA is is all in person, and um, mm-hmm. on my watch always will be, um, <laughs> because there's just no replacement for that 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 I see in the foreseeable future.
0: Mm, okay, good point, but I do definitely see a lot of value in um, putting up these video courses and sort of doing a service to the community at large right because as i was mentioning um i did interview matthew before and one cool thing is like a lot of the videos whether um it's made that way or not it, they clear up a lot of misconceptions on certain things yeah. especially ritual and um you know other things along those lines so i think it's a really great thing that's going on there and as i mentioned i uh, i did apply for temple of silver star i think two times but it, it seems pretty popular because it's uh (laughs) i got an email recently oh perhaps in summer so uh, i'm gonna keep trying you know if you're uh, you really want something you continue to try right but uh, (laughs) i think also the pandemic too as you mentioned with the pandemic um i'm sure there's a lot of demand for um something like an academic track and learning virtually and online um especially Mm -hmm.
1: right now so Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. exactly and and yeah Um, we've just had a Anyways, uh, of I'm curious is there, are there
0: any new areas of esotericism or magic in general that you've been exploring?
1: Well, you know at, at this point in my magical career, basically my my constant intention is to stay tuned in to my to the expression of my true will and how it's unfolding in my life. Mm-hmm. so, that evolves with um, with the projects in front of me. And I have to say that my, my overriding focus right now is on doing my best to enrich and expand and strengthen the systems of initiation that I'm responsible for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much of my my interest lies in how to do that how to how to get constantly better at administering these systems. And sometimes that's taking mystical or magical insights from, say, the aether scryings and integrating those into the Temple of the Silver Star, as, as has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that Enochian work that has found its place as, as parts of the initiatory experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it is trying to get better at training people some of it is um the sort of the great work of um uh the the really mundane aspects of administration but that 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 actually shore up the structure that allows these organizations to exist and so Mm -hmm. um it wouldn't it's stuff that might not look uh magical um in a conventional sense but that's you know my my sense of what i'm here to do um and of course writing projects and such so it's 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 really for me at this phase a lot about the the way that magic has gotten me to a place where i can um be myself doing these things as effectively as possible
0: okay great um, speaking of enokian i recall in mm-hmm. your book um, you recommend scrying the second aether, or sorry, not scrying, but using the second call. Calling, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, prior to, is, is that something that, um, uh, that you found on experimentation or is that sort of um, like a teaching you got handed down? Because I, I often do in certain ritual work, sometimes I'll use the first and second call or um, sometimes even just the second call, just through my own experimentation. And mm-hmm. I found it to be quite an amplifier in pretty much anything that... Um, I yeah. do after after that so i'm just curious on how you came upon that or was it something that was sort of um like passed down or yeah
1: well it is it is something we teach um mm-hmm. but um but we wouldn't be teaching it if it didn't match my experience of, of yeah. it working you know right, uh, right. There's, there's that living order thing right mm-hmm. um so um yeah i've just found that uh that the second eighth the second call the second aether, tends to kind of flip on the the full receptivity of the person doing the scrying. So uh, do that right before you want to really absorb whatever comes next. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, Yeah, for me, I do, sometimes I do the supreme uh, invoking ritual, the pentagram, and Mm -hmm. uh, I kind of experimented with using the first call prior to doing that, and then the second and both, and definitely when I use uh, the second, it sort of amplifies up whatever energy that uh, it sort of, it sort of gives it an extra boost I feel like, or a charge. And so, um, yeah, so I thought that was interesting when I saw that in the back of uh, your book. And so you mentioned like, um, you also mentioned that, are are there any other books that you're working on or any other projects that you uh, are currently working on? Because personally, I, as I mentioned, you know, your writing has been really helpful and useful and, I feel like it uh, really clears up a lot of concepts, and so curious if there are any other books you're working on these days, or any you know yeah. um, things in the works. Yeah.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, again, the the most recent thing, if people haven't seen the complete book of uh, ceremonial magic from Llewellyn, I think uh, mm-hmm. that book is designed. That came out in February of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, that book is designed to be uh, uh, an overview of many different traditions within the ceremonial magic. Um, range mm-hmm. so um, for example somebody who's very familiar with Golden Dawn work but not with Crowley mm-hmm. or not with uh, Alchemy or whatever could get that book and still you know learn a lot because we've got each chapter written by by real experts of that area mm-hmm. but in terms of future projects um, well you know there's been a lot of Living Thelema, uh podcasts episodes that came out the release of the Living Thelema book uh and i'm right on the cusp of starting to put those together into a second volume of living talema so it'll be you know living talema 2 essentially with with a whole bunch of new stuff um mm. and um and that'll include like for example the the, the four episodes i did recently on kabbalistic psychology and uh, mm. a bunch of other stuff um we're about to have a we recently put out a Portuguese translation of Leme and we're about to put out a Spanish translation. Oh, awesome. um, and um, then, you know, I've always got ideas hatching for, for other kinds of books um, that I don't want to, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to diffuse the energy <laughs> by talking about it too much, but let me Leme to 2 uh, will be probably the next thing you see come out under my name other than translations of the first one
0: okay yeah i um i did pick up a copy of the complete book of serial ceremonial magic that was really good it was a great felt like it was a really great survey of all the different sort of um uh i guess you would say streams because it covers Mm -hmm. goes into sort of like uh, goetia and that that kind of thing and Mm-hmm. and uh and it's pretty much like the experts and <laughs> people who have been working yeah. like their whole life you have like Stephen Skinner and Aaron Leach and a bunch of different uh yeah mm-hmm. yeah the Cicero's so what what was the uh, inspiration behind getting that together I think that was almost like it felt like something that needed to be done but was there something that kind of yeah. spurred you to make that I mean it was really good
1: well I gotta credit uh Lawn mm-hmm. Duquette and mm-hmm. um and the great folks at Llewellyn for uh first sort of hatching the idea and, and determining that it was going to happen. And then Lon asked mm-hmm. me to come on board as co-editor, um, a few years ago, the project took a few years to, to get done for various reasons. But, mm-hmm. um, so in terms of, uh, the idea, the seed idea and, 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 uh, implanting that in my head, um, that's, uh, that was Llewellyn and Lawn. Um, mm-hmm. but it was, like I said, it was, it was hard work, but, uh, uh, a lot of a lot of fun and very very gratifying to have that product because I can see, and I can and I'm saying this because of the quality of the other authors, you know, not because of anything I did, but um, I can see that book really being a reference for many many uh, years or decades to come, and I'm really proud of that.
0: Oh, definitely, definitely. And I think that um, someone who's also just getting into, um, you know, ceremon- ceremonial magic and the Western esoteric tradition in general, it's a really good survey to kind of, it's a good, it it gives you a really good sample of each of these different areas that you can explore for pretty much a lifetime as most of those authors really have, right? Like it's cool because after you read the whole thing you get a little bit of an idea about, you know these different streams you can go off into. And so um, I, I definitely recommend that to people who, sort of on a vast survey and then also what's cool about it is you get to learn a little bit about each of the author and you can kind of explore their work later on if you feel called to um one of the, one of the traditions like the golden dawn or enochian or um like goetia and other other things that are in the book so definitely a really really good one to check out um okay how yeah definitely how can people um you know uh, reach out to you or what, what sort of resources of yours would you like to, um, tell the listeners about?
1: Okay, great. Um, so, um, of course the podcast living philema comes out as I, as I have material, um, at this point it's, you know, every two or three months I would say. And so that's, um, you know, you can find that on YouTube. You can also subscribe to that like any other podcast. Um, there's a dedicated YouTube channel for living Thalema um then um for my work in the temple of the silver star the website there is totss.org mm-hmm. um and so if you're interested in uh, in initiatory or um more solitary self-paced learn at home kind of approaches um that's that's a great place to get the foundational training that can really uh, set you up for for a lot of uh, success later um, those interested in AA can go to one star insight.org okay. and um, get information there and I forgot to mention with regard to living with the Layman, that there is uh, that my website has all the podcast episodes archived and ready for streaming or download along with with uh, Certain episodes that have other resources, reading materials, or instructional videos, and that's LivingThalima.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, uh, that's the what I'm
0: um, okay, great. And the uh, just out of curiosity, the initiatory order. Um, so the difference between the academic track and the initiatory order is, I would imagine, in the initiatory order you would work through a lot of the material of the academic track. But you guys, it's also sort of like a GD style, like group initiations right. and rituals. Is it? Is it? pretty much i think you mentioned it's based on the golden dawn or is it um Mm -hmm. are are there like major differences as you mentioned sort of adapted to a thelemic approach
1: yeah yeah um so it's based on the you know it's a tree of life based degree structure like the original hermetic order the golden dawn um but everything in the order is aimed at uh, putting aspirants in touch with their true will and helping them live that out so uh uh, you know it's really reconfigured for the Thelemic era um and um a- another thing that's really important to understand about the temple of the silver star is that this is not a reconstructed golden dawn type order at no point uh it, we we are lineal successors in an unbroken line from the original golden dawn at no point did did the the line sort of peter out. And then 20 years later, somebody picked up Brigardi's book and said, Hey, let's start a golden dawn or mm-hmm. this has been a living tradition of initiates meeting regularly and a continuity of administrative structure and institutional memory uh, going back 120 years or more now. Mm-hmm. And so when you pair that with the last century of insights from depth psychology, with modern science, with, the influx of the Thelemic Current and and, uh, and all that that brings. Um, it's a really, I, I think it's a, it's a lovely um, initiatory journey for people. So if you're looking for foundational training and in an initiatory context, um, I would really recommend the, the initiatory track of Temple the Silver Star. But uh, yeah, those who, who are looking for Studying at home with an, one assigned instructor and maybe doing some online classes and such, but not the initiatory part, um, would probably benefit from the academic track.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, it's too bad. I think uh, I think I mentioned to this this to you on Facebook, but uh, I'm actually from Sacramento, and, and I know a lot of you. Yeah, <laughs> um, you guys are kind of sort of based out of there. Is that right? Like the majority of your. Um... Um, is that sort of the headquarters of the Temple of the Silver Star or is it, it just one of the main categories? It had been the
1: headquarters from for a long time until I moved to North Carolina last year but uh, uh, yeah Sacramento was our was our home base from 2008 to, to 2020 um, and uh, there's still a, yeah it's a substantial temple presence there one of, one of our primary uh, working groups is there uh, but we are all, all around the country and uh, <clears throat> over in the UK and starting to, uh, have some presence in other European countries as well. And, uh, so it's, uh, it's growing and it's exciting and I'm loving, uh, meeting all the people that, uh, that are getting interested in coming in.
0: Oh, definitely. Okay. Thanks for coming on today and I'll include, um, links to your books and your podcasts in the show notes and, uh, really appreciate, uh, you know, spending the time to join this little podcast here. So until next time.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it was a lot of fun.